Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew. I'm the student ministry pastor here at, here at PCC. And uh, I'm filling in this week uh, for Pastor Jim since they are out uh, exploring Israel. Uh, but thankfully, you know and I know that uh, even though it's only 9 p.m. out there and they've been walking around for 10 hours or so, that they're faithfully just gathered around like a laptop or an iPad or something and watching. And so I just want to say thank you for tuning in, uh, Israel people. We're, we're glad to have you with us as well. Well, today we're going to continue with Joyful. Uh, we've been looking at this series into Philippians, and uh, it's week three. We're diving into Philippians. We're diving into Joyful. And when we were kind of thinking through this idea, and we were playing with the, the art and all that stuff, and I was sitting with Danny as he's designing that, I, I, my mind kind of was trying to think of, like, who do I think of when I start thinking of joyful people? And I got to tell you, um, more often than not, I found myself kind of uh, pulling towards more like worldly standards. It was easy to kind of slip that way. It was easy to think of like a certain celebrity uh, because they had like status and fame. And it's like, oh, that must be fun or something like that. Or, or to think of like uh, a millionaire, they can just buy whatever they need, right? Buy their little happiness. Uh, an executive with power, uh, maybe, maybe someone who is retired and has time. Or, or maybe to think of, of, of someone uh, with the family, the two dogs, or the two dogs, two kids and a dog, two dogs, maybe not now the joy's away. The two kids and the dog, you're behind the gate, you're kind of living that American dream. Maybe it's a, a pastor in Israel, something like that, but you're kind of thinking of like, my mind was slipping into kind of these standards for joy. And as I was thinking about it, and, and, and as I was as coming to that, I was realizing that's, why is my mind going there? That's not, that's not the right standard for joy. As I'm starting to think about this, all of a sudden joy is becoming more moments. Moments that happen rather than like an attitude. And when that was the case, all of a sudden joy was just when everything was going right. Joy was, joy was when, when I'm getting my way or when someone's getting their way, that's joy. As soon as that stops, as soon as a rough patch hit or, or as soon as trouble comes, all of a sudden just like in a moment joy's gone it became fleeting so just diving into this i think was so helpful because i think what we see in philippians is, is totally different in philippians a, a joy isn't about a moment it's not about things going your way I, I think much more likely what we see in philippians is that joy isn't the absence of our problems joy is our attitude within our problems and for Paul, what we kind of really see, especially what we're going to see today, is that for Paul, uh, joy comes when we align ourselves with God's purposes and with God's plan. And I think perhaps that's why uh, what we'll see today, how Paul is so joyful in the midst of a, a situation where he really, frankly, has no right to be. And so if you're taking notes, uh, we're going in today, and, and here's the big idea, here's the thing, uh, if you get nothing else, what I want you to do, and what I think kind of fills out the rest of it, it's point number one, it's this, joy comes when we give our challenging situations over to God. Joy comes when we give our challenging situations over to God. That's what we're going to see. And, and I think it, it, we got to set the foundation by saying, look, we all are going to have challenging situations. 
I mean, we live in a great place. I love PV. I love the hill. And a lot of times we can avoid certain things, but we can't avoid it all. Right? Challenging situations are going to find us. There's going to be the health problems, the unexpected ones that come out of nowhere, the ones that hit people that are far too young to happen. Right? There's going to be the work problems that come. All of a sudden, the business that was thriving isn't doing so well, and the, the stress that comes with it. Students, you know the school problems uh, that come. You, in this area, school's a big deal. And so when, when school problems come, all of a sudden it's not like normal school problems. You're not doing so well in school. It feels like more and more and more on top of it. Family problems. Maybe people aren't getting along the way they used to. Church problems. Maybe people aren't getting along the way they used to. <laughs> Money. These problems will come and they find us. And, and I think the encouraging thing that we're going to see in Philippians today is that Paul's no stranger to them either. Paul's no stranger to these problems either. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians 1. We're going to be picking up in verse 12. And as we do, I want to just set the foundation for you for just a second because I think what's really important for us is as we read this passage, it's key for us to understand where Paul is at in his journey right here. And so picking up in, in uh, Philippians 1 and 12, what's going to happen is um, Paul is about to do something that's pretty common uh, in letters, especially friendship letters. And, and Paul and Philippi, they're friends, and so they're writing kind of these back and forth letters. Uh, and he's doing something that's common in the Greco-Roman world where he's giving a detailed account of what's happening to him. Kind of think of you're like got a pen pal maybe back in the day or you have like an email you're sending. You kind of like add a little detail about what's going on in your life and make it feel a little more personal. Uh, before getting down to business. And so what Paul's doing is he is taking a moment to let them know where he's at. And I think that's important because the Philippian church is probably wondering and probably worrying about him. And in this moment, as he's writing, Paul's in prison. He's under house arrest. And I know when I say that, you kind of think, well, okay, is he in prison or is he in house arrest? And, and we kind of have this way where we think of it as two different things. And, and Paul is... is is not in a 21st century white-collar uh, house arrest. He doesn't have like an ankle monitor and he can wander around his mansion however he wants. He's in first century house arrest. It's, it's, it's different, right? He's not Ant-Man. He's not playing guitar here all day. He's not learning like close-up magic uh, to wow the FBI guards. He is struggling. Paul's not in a pleasant experience. He's likely chained to a guard all day. It's tempting maybe to think that, that that's not so bad, but we just experienced a time where we were locked into close quarters with one another, and we didn't necessarily do so well. So we think of a moment where you can't just escape to another room. You are chained to someone, and that can drive someone insane. So much so, uh, just to make sure we get the idea, I actually have a, a 21st century reenactment, in a sense, of what Paul went through. And so just to make sure that you understand, it's not a pleasant experience. How'd you like to be handcuffed to that for 24 hours? <laughs> it's something we've always talked about, being handcuffed to a mine for 24 hours. This weekend, we're headed out on the road to perform live, and we're about to get on the train. But first, we're going to handcuff Q to him. Am I going to say a word to me? No. Or you're time? Hold on. All right, let's go. Come on. Oh, well, there you go. He's already coming. Oh, no, so far on the stage. Just let me walk down. Oh, it's a heavy bag. It's a heavy bag. I'll get it. I'll get it. Oh, 
are falling apart. You, can't see it. you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like. <laughs> Just let me wash my handsome face. <laughs> Please just go to bed. Now, okay, Paul's not uh, actually chained up to a mine um, for his punishment, but he's chained up to a Roman guard. And now, while that guard's job isn't to annoy him day and night, as it was in, in that scenario, I think there's a different level that takes it, though, because while you're not like, chained up to a mine who, who's there to annoy you, instead you're chained up to someone who is bigger than you, who is pure muscle, and who could really honestly beat you to a pulp whenever they wanted. And so now, all of a sudden, the, the situation, it takes a dark turn, right? Paul is in an environment of stress, of anxiety, that easily could be a situation of depression. So if he is in this environment, if he is in this dark, kind of like the opposite of a joyful environment, how does Paul have this kind of response? Take a look at verse 12. I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped spread the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers and the sisters have been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. So Paul's writing this letter to the Philippians and, and he's doing this part where he's letting them know where he is in his life. And I'm sure the Philippians, as his friends, are worried about him. They know he's in prison. I'm sure they assume it's a dark place and that he's in a dark place. And so for him to say this, all of a sudden, it has to change everything. He's saying, look guys, it, it's not all bad. Rome's not all bad. And I think what we see is that Paul has given his situation over to God. And because he's given his situation over to God, he's able to see the joy actually within it. He's taken his eyes off himself and, and he's seen something greater that's beginning to happen. It's not all bad. God is serving a bigger purpose. There's more good now that's happening than bad. And because he's given his situation over to God, Paul's able to find joy through the spread of the gospel that's happening within the prison, and as we see in the verse, it's also happening uh, beyond the prison as well. And so he's, he's able to see this joy because he's able to see, okay, something bigger than me is happening, and it's happening right here where I am, but it's not just stopped here. It's happening beyond that as well. And so I think it's first important for us to just see how his impact is happening within the prison. For Paul, there's joy because he's seeing it firsthand right in front of him, uh, that something is happening, that God is working. He's handed his situation over to God, and because of that, he's seen it's happening right there in front of his eyes. Paul is able to have an impact on the very people he's guarding. And the interesting thing is, he uses this line, the whole imperial guard. Uh, it might be an exaggeration, it might not, we don't know, but the point being, there were shifts. And so there are different guards coming in. 
And so Paul isn't just having an impact on one person, which would already be celebration enough. Paul's having an impact on a bunch of different guards. And it, it's, it's kind of interesting. I think there's this scenario that happens where, where Paul's given this over to God, and because of that, all of a sudden, the, the, the script, it's flipped. This was supposed to be a punishment by Rome onto Paul. And Paul's basically turned the tables on them. Kind of, if you begin to think about it, all of a sudden at this situation, it's no longer Paul who is chained to the guards. Now it's the guards who are chained to Paul. If we know Paul, right, he's probably the mime in this situation. <laughs> he's not the one being bugged anymore. All of a sudden now he's spending all day and all night where they're stuck listening to him and observing him. And, and Paul is going to use that time to talk about Jesus. He's going to spend all day bugging them, you know, respectfully and for Jesus. But he's going to spend all day, right, with them and using that time. And I think Paul begins to see the joy in that even more because all of a sudden Paul is realizing not only am I having this chance to impact these people, but I'm having a chance to impact people I probably never would have. Generally, as Paul went from city to city and, and he spread, right, he's going on his missionary journeys, uh, usually we kind of see him go to these synagogues uh, or to house churches, um, but now he's interacting with people he likely would have never come across. He's reaching really into the heart of the empire, the imperial guard. And the crazy thing is, it's working. Like some of them believe. And I don't want to get like too cheesy on you, but I, I honestly believe that there is no greater joy than when you share your faith with someone and you see them get excited about it. Like when you tell someone about Jesus and it's not just that uncomfortable moment, but all of a sudden something clicks. When, when you see uh, the glimmer of hope and faith in someone's eyes, uh, when you see kind of life change happen, if you're feeling maybe like spiritually dry and you're like, I don't know what's going on and this doesn't quite feel the same, go around someone who's experiencing this from the first time, right? Or share your faith with someone who can experience it for the first time because that new life that's happening in them, it gives you life. Paul has joy in this dark situation because now that he's giving it over to God, he has a purpose, he has purpose. And it's a pretty monumental purpose, too. Uh, there's a, a book, it's called Does God Really Like Me? It's by uh, Jeff and uh, Sid Holsklaw. And there's this quote in it that I really like, especially the end. It says, regardless of your experience, regardless of what your experience has been or currently is, the reality is we are invited to participate in God's meaningful work. We have a purpose it's very real, and it's terribly significant. We bear the image of God, and in doing so, we bring him honor or disgrace. And here's the part that I think is so important. It says we are a part of God's family. That's something we all lean into often. But it closes with this. And there's a family business to run. We're a part of God's family, and there's a family business to run. This idea of, of being a, ch a child of God it, it is so crucial to our faith. 
Uh, it's something the church has clinged on to, thankfully, uh, from generation to generation. Um, and, and it's this idea you're adopted, you're brought into the family, uh, you're given the status, and, and you're given everything, right, passed down to you, even though you aren't really blood. And in the first century world, this, this would have blown people's mind. In the first century world, especially in Rome, it's dominated by status. And to say you're adopted as a child, you're a son, you're a daughter, you get what I have. You're brought into this. That changed lives. But we can't just stop at the take. We can't just stop at the, oh, we get this. Because there's kind of something that happens after that, right? When we put our, our hope and our trust in Jesus, we don't merely become children in the family. We get brought into the family business. We get brought into God's purposes. And it's not something we volunteer for. We're automatically included when we become a part of the family. We're representing God. We're representing the family, whether we want to or not, whether we feel like it or not. And that can be stressful. I'm a pastor's kid, and I, I have the counseling uh, in my life to know and prove to you that it is stressful. But there's also a joy in it, and there's also a purpose to it. Uh, think about your job, or, or students, think about even like your homework or your classwork. Um, and just think about the difference of trying doing something that has a purpose and doing something that's busy work. Right, when you're doing kind of like a, a project either in school or in work and you know it's like busy work, I, I think especially to school where it's like, uh, make sure you color in this picture and it's like, okay, but I'm in 12th grade now. Like, <laughs> why? You feel the struggle within that. Like, why am I doing this? Why am I spending my time into this? All of a sudden, though, when you're doing something that brings purpose, everything changes. The amount of time you put in, the amount of effort you put in, even just the way you talk about it. You find a job with purpose, you can't stop talking about it. Right? You find a project that, that inspires you, all of a sudden you want to take it farther. There is purpose. And that's what we have in the family business. Right? We have some purpose. Paul's given this situation over to God, and he's experienced joy in it. And I think, though, uh, real quick, it's important to notice um, and, and bring out that he, he's chained to these guards all day, and he's taking the time to talk about it, right? He, he is living into the purpose. Um, but one of the really key things that I think happens within the prison, and I think it only happens because Paul is leaning into this joy, is that his character is shining through. Paul's character is shining through. The words that Paul is sharing are no doubt powerful, but we can often forget that the way we share them matters. Those words that are so power can, powerful can fall flat if they're shared in a hostile way or if we just completely contradict them with our lives. Uh, I went to Moody for my undergrad um, and uh, Moody Bible Institute, it's great. Uh, I loved it. Some of my best friends still came from Moody. And the only thing is at Moody, you would occasionally run into what I like to refer to, and, and what's, I didn't come up with it, but now everyone's referring to, are these things called uh, Theobros. Theobros. And you're like, what is that? Um, basically, it's like this. Um, think like your gym bro. Um, but replace all the gym stuff with like Bible stuff. 
And so uh, replace all the kind of frustration you're feeling towards that guy with now like a guy holding a Bible kind of to it, right? They're not flexing dumbbells, they're flexing in Koine Greek, and it's like this whole kind of experience. And so the sad thing is, uh, when I was there especially, and you interact with these people, they usually really knew what they were talking about. I mean, they were so smart. They knew what they were talking about. But man, they were often annoying. And oftentimes, uh, the only way that they could have a conversation, you can take that picture down. We don't need to get frustrated. (laughs) The only way they knew how to have a conversation was by having a debate. And the only way they could have a debate was by winning the debate. And the way to win was to put everyone else down to crush everyone else and bring themselves up, make them feel small so they could feel big. And so the challenge was, even though they knew these amazing things, powerful things about God, their character just dampened them. Character matters. I think character matters, especially within the challenges. So if we're going to experience uh, the joy within our challenges. We're going to hand it over to God. We've got to ask, how is our character in the midst of these challenges? Is it shining through like Paul? Uh, or are we only making things worse? Paul's impact, it, it didn't just stop in the prison. Uh, I think he was able to find joy because he was able to see that the impact was going beyond the prison as well. If you relook at verse 14, you can kind of see the second part to it. It's going beyond the prison. Paul says, And most of the brothers and sisters, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. Paul's getting to experience joy in this situation. He's handed over to God, and what he's seen is that by doing so now, it's inspired others. It's inspired others. They've seen what's happened to Paul. They've seen what he's doing and they want to do it too. This last summer, we took um, a small group of students uh, to our mission trip that we do in, uh, called Tesoro. Uh, Tesoro is super awesome. You've probably seen some signs or something in your worship folder occasionally. Um, I love Tesoro. It's kind of like an intro-level mission trip, uh, but challenges our students in a real way because while they're at Tesoro, our students have to preach sermons, they have to lead worship, they have to lead small group, and run games. Basically, they have to be youth pastors for a week. I'm there to kind of help them day one, but after that, it, it's all them. So I, I, I'll protect them and help them and, and, and rescue them if they need it, but they're taking the lead. And so while we're on this trip, uh, one of the students named Andrew, who actually came from a different church, and, and this was his first kind of experience uh, at it, he came and he was preaching on day two, and he just killed it. I mean, he knocked it out of the park. He was awesome, and we filmed it, and we recorded it so we could talk through it, and afterwards we're talking, and I'm like, Andrew, that was so good. Like, that was great. Here, here's the recording. Go take this back to your youth group and, like, show your youth pastor and, and have him help you train you and, and, and do more and so you can preach at, at your youth group. Well, unfortunately, there was kind of a transitioning happening and, and something was coming up, and so he wasn't actually able to, in that season... Uh, take it further with his youth group. It's kind of this uh, challenging situation that all of a sudden arose. Uh, And so we called up again. We met another time and we said, okay, we'll we'll adjust. We'll work through this. 
And so I talked to him and I said, okay, Andrew, you should come and guest speak here with us. We'll help write a sermon, we'll work together, we'll create all the stuff, and then you can come and guest speak with us. And I did that really for two reasons. I did it for his development, but I also had some selfish reasoning as well. See, I thought, okay, if a high school student comes to refuge and preaches to other high school students, our kids are going to realize they can do that too. And it worked perfectly. Oh, my evil plan worked perfectly. It was great. We had three students uh, just this last Wednesday finish up a, a series where they all preached to their other students um, messages on the Trinity. It's like not an easy thing. And they did it. There's this inspiration that happens. And so when challenges come, we have this power to inspire others or to drag people down with us. Paul, he inspired others to step out in faith, but it could have just as easily gone the other way. If Paul had become bitter and just negative about a situation that he said have so easily could have, I think that would have spilled over into others. But Paul, in his joy in the challenging circumstances, inspired others. And I think it just leans even more and more. That joy comes just when we give our challenging situations over to God, when we hand it over to him. The passage doesn't end there. there there's a second half, and it's a, a whole lot shorter. And so stick with me. Point two, and this is a much quicker one, is this. Joy comes when we see the gospel as bigger than ourselves. Joy comes when we see the gospel as bigger than ourselves. Not only are we called to join the family business, but we're also called to see it as bigger than ourselves. Take a look at verse 15. It's kind of the second half where he's let them know about the situation. And then he says this, Some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, but others do it from goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that they have been here, they've been put here for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering in my imprisonment. Basically, there's two people out there. Some are doing, uh, uh, spreading Christ uh, for good. Others are doing it because they want to torture me. They want to add it in, right? They kind of want to like rub in the little, the, the rub some salt on the wound, right? Verse 18, he says, what does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether false motives or true, and in that I rejoice. People are out to get him. And they're doing it through the word of God? Like, that sucks. That's a heart issue. And Paul so easily could have been upset by that. He could have so easily stooped to their level, right? He could have, he could have laid a burn in right here. He could have been like, okay, Theo, bro, catch me outside. Let's pray off right now. Like, let's do it. But he doesn't. Again, he sees the good. It's the name of Jesus. It's getting out there. That's, that's bigger than their motives. Plus, we just saw God's working through the low points. If he's working through the low points, can't he work through this too? He's defined by the bigger picture. It's not about his credit, right? It's not about Paul's credit. It's not about Paul's glory. It's about God's glory. And so PCC, this has really been something that's been sitting on me too, is 
that you want a joyful life, you can't be the most important thing in your life then. You can't be your own God. Your reputation can't be your own God. If you are your own God, you'll always be left disappointed. You'll always be left wanting more. Because when that happens, we try so hard to give ourselves what we want. We always miss then what we need. There has to be something bigger. We just finished a, a series uh, on judges in the youth group, and um, we were looking through all the different judges, going through it, and um, one of the most well-known ones, and, and you probably know it, is Gideon, right? You know Gideon, you know the story. Um, Gideon's smallest tribe, and, and he's hiding. He's a fearful guy. He doesn't want to be a part of it. God calls him to something more. He calls him out, and he says, you're going you're gonna to help defeat our enemies. And um, basically, what we see happen is God keeps whittling down the army until there's only 300 left, and he says, you're going to do something great. I, I'm going to, don't worry. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to do something bigger. They're going to know it was me who brought the victory. And we know that story of Gideon well. But did you know his story doesn't end there? I wish it did. It does not. There's another page. And all of a sudden, we kind of see this hero Gideon crash. And basically, what happens is this. There's a lesson in the battle that's won with the 300. It's, you didn't do it, God did it. And Gideon, who lived that lesson, didn't learn it. After the battle, we see Gideon become prideful. He no longer goes to God because he needs help. He no longer prays and says, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? He just makes the decision. He does it. Where is God in it? He's not there. Gideon doesn't look for him. Gideon doesn't ask for him. And so you kind of have this, this moment where a, a town, basically, two towns uh, belittle his reputation. And Gideon responds to that by just like crushing them with pure force. He's like, oh, you're going to make fun of me? I'll show you. And so he just, he just takes them out. And you have this moment where here's this hero, right? God used him. And he didn't learn the lesson. And he made himself his own God. And he made, more importantly, his reputation his own God. And because of that, it all came crashing down. He didn't end with a joyful life. We want to live a joyful life. It can't be our own God. We've got to find something bigger. Kind of as we close, I just want to ask uh, just a few questions. And the first is this. When you, when you gave your life to Christ, what were you expecting? What were you expecting? Were you expecting that you would uh, make that basket or like hit that home run? Were you expecting you'd get that promotion? Were you expecting that relationships would be a little easier? People would be nicer? That the church isn't uh, just uh, full of other broken people? Were you expecting a cost? Expecting a cost that comes with it. Because I think what we see through Paul, and what we even see through what he's saying right here to the Philippians, is that a joyful life comes through a surrendered life. Paul, time and time again, has every reason to not be joyful. He is imprisoned multiple times. He's shipwrecked. He's beaten. He's stoned nearly to death. Maybe to death, and then, I don't know. Right? Bitten by poisonous snakes. Time and time again, crisis arose for Paul. Things came that could have broken his spirit. But we see through him this just joyful person. Because a surrender life is a joyful life. 
And so kind of my challenge to you is this, is take this inspiration from Paul. Look up and look out. Crisis arise, look up, look out. Find your joy by looking up and looking out. Hand over your situation to God. See the gospel as bigger. But then join the family business. Don't just let it stop there. Don't just let it with taking. So PCC, as you drive home, I want you to think about this question. Who's your mind, right? Who are you chained to? Who are you stuck with? That's a challenging situation. But God's saying, hand it over to me and we're going to do something in it. This doesn't have to break you. This is going to bring something greater. You pray with me. God, we just, we hand not only our challenging situations over to you, God, but we we hand uh, just all elements of our lives, the challenges, the successes, we want to give it over to you, um, Lord, because we know you're the source of joy, Lord. And so uh, let us lean into you, let us look up to you, and and let us find our joy uh, in you, because it lasts, God. And so we just, we love you, we praise you, and we, we thank you for being the one who brings joy. So we pray in your name. Amen.